Listener Production. Do you have a child with an allergy? We are seeing more allergies. Worldwide, the statistics are increasing. In Australia alone, we estimate that approximately 1 in 10 infants will have an allergic reaction to a food. This is Mother Doctor Nurse, our 12-week special series tackling the health and safety of our children. On this episode, our expert answers your questions all about allergies. Feed, Play, Love with Sarah Hunstead and Dr Deb Levy. Allergic reactions in children can range from the mild to severe, and they can have a big impact on quality of life for your child and your family. In this episode of Mother Doctor Nurse, paediatrician Dr. Deb Levy is answering your questions about allergies because Sarah is off sick. Poor love. Deb, welcome. Thanks, Sharana. And Sarah, when you're listening to this, we hope you feel absolutely better. I know. And it just goes to show it doesn't matter how uh, how much of an expert you are in anything, you still get the lurgies. You still get sick. You can't avoid it. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's just start. Before we get to the questions, I just wanted to have a little chat to you about allergies in general, because um, I have read at different in different publications that possibly over the last two decades or so, we have seen a rise in allergies in children. That's what the research says. What's your experience been like in clinic with allergies? Well, it's reflected that, Siobhan. I think What I just quickly want to take a step back and say, well, allergies, what do we mean by that? And it's actually part of a family of conditions that we call atopic conditions. And that includes eczema, food allergies, asthma, as well as allergic rhinitis, also known as hay fever. So those four conditions are all linked. And um, we've definitely seen an increase, you know, both, like you say, in the publications as well as, you know, in my practice. And... I know I can't ask you this question because obviously no one knows the answer, but do you have any insight yourself into why those allergies might be increasing? Yes. I mean, to say no one has the answer, you're absolutely right. And there's so much research in this area at the moment um, because obviously prevention is so much better than cure. My theory is aligned with... um, Originally, it was called the hygiene hypothesis, but it's actually been renamed, and I think into a better name, called the old friends hypothesis. And I'll, I'll take you on a little bit of a journey um, in terms of what this means and why we think this is linked to the increase in these atopic conditions. So essentially, it's around how the modern westernized world has changed the way that not only children are birthed, but also the way that they brought up. When babies are inside mummy's tum, um, they essentially their immune system starts to develop. But really, it's when they're born and what they're exposed to that kicks that immune system off because there are good bugs and there are bad bugs. And our body needs to learn how to differentiate those two. How do we do that? We do that by being exposed to bugs that we need to be exposed to. So essentially... What we need to do is make sure our children aren't in too sterile environment, don't have too many antibiotics, and are exposed to things that are really going to prime their immune system. 
you know, and that includes also nurturing the gut microbiome, which we know is part of that. So, you know, that's the big picture of things. Um, if people want to learn more, I did write, you know, a, a very easy to understand and follow article. So we'll link to that. But essentially, you know, there are things that we can do and things that um, we know may help prevent allergies in children. Okay, so um, before we get to the questions, let's tackle that one. I suspect one of them, I know we hear a lot of talk about what we eat during pregnancy. Is that one of the ways we can put some preventative measures in place? Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of in utero support for babies. So what do I mean by that? I I believe and know that there are things that pregnant mums can do to help their children, not only just um, in regards to allergies. So yes, mums need to eat a variety of foods. They need to make sure their vitamin D levels are optimized. They need to nurture their gut microbiome. We know that all of this can help children's health. So obviously that's, you know, we have to be careful around exactly what mums are eating. We know there's certain foods they need to avoid, but ultimately the more variety, the better. And it feels like there are so many products out there now that talk about the gut health and powders and vitamins. I'm assuming that with pregnant women in particular, but generally everybody we should consult with a doctor before we start messing with that? <laughs> Absolutely. There are a lot of people out there trying to make money and you have to be careful about what you choose, especially when you're pregnant. Run them by your healthcare provider to ensure that the, the contents are safe for you to take when you're pregnant. And then also choose wisely about you know what product you're buying. To me, it's a little bit risky just to go randomly and buy something online. <laughs> And I think that there's certainly better quality products that can be choose, that can be found. Um, look, I know we're going to get into preventative measures with children and how you introduce certain foods because that's part of some of the questions we have to put to you today. But before we get into that, would there be anything else that we as adults can do to help our children avoid this increase in allergic reactions? Um, I think the things that we've already mentioned are very important. Um, there's certain other things that we know of that are linked to a lower risk of of allergies, things like having a pet. <laughs> I'm not suggesting you go out and, and buy one, but being exposed to animals is um, beneficial. Adequate vitamin D levels, playing in the dirt, and... Um, I think we're going to chat a little bit more about this, but also how you introduce your children to their solids. Yeah, excellent. Okay, well, on that note, I'll start with a question that is um, related to this from Roberta. She says, when's the safest time to introduce egg? Okay. I'm going to start by saying I love egg. I think it's a wonderful food for children. Uh, it's full of protein, vitamins, nutrients, choline, which is good for the brain. So it's actually one of the first foods that I, I usually recommend for children. That being said, I think it's just important to look at the big picture of how we introduce foods to babies when you're starting solids. There are a group of foods that we call allergenic foods, and these are the foods that are more likely to cause a food allergy. 
I'll list them now. They are, no surprise, nuts, and that's all types of nuts. Seafood, including shellfish, wheat, dairy, soy, and sesame seeds, and eggs. I nearly forgot eggs. <laughs> <laughs> that's because you love them so much. Exactly, right? Um, you know, so these foods, it used to be actually that it was recommended, oh, you know, delay, start them right at the end, you know, get everything else going first. But that's all flipped on itself. Now we recommend that all of those highly allergenic foods are started before your child turns one. So that is the goal. The majority of children will be ready to start solids at about six months. So you've got six months to introduce all of these foods. So in terms of how to start egg, again, egg is a little bit different because you've got the egg yolk and the egg white. It used to be that we would advise doing them separately. But now, unless there's a high risk of allergies or unless there's been some other kind of suspicion that your child is going to develop an allergy to them, we say a whole boiled egg, mash it up, and then you add small amounts slowly. What do I mean by that? First of all, choose your meal time carefully. And this is for all foods, all new foods. And that means a breakfast meal or a lunchtime meal. That being so that you've got time to observe your child to see if they have any reactions. The next part is you add a small amount. A small amount, I usually indicate the tip of my finger. And add that on every single day for about three days, three to four days increasing slowly the amount that you give. What we want really is the repeated exposure. If over those next few days of adding it, there's absolutely no reactions, you can tick that off and say, fantastic, no food allergies, and then keep it in their diet. That's another trick. Um, and that is around about two to three times a week. Just make sure you're including that food in their diet while you're then adding other foods in. You mentioned egg there. And the other foods you mentioned that are also on that list of highly allergenic foods, do you use the same approach with those other foods? Yes, exactly the same. Small amounts, increasing the amounts slowly, but giving it to them on consecutive days because we need to make sure that, that their immune system is being exposed and then not reacting. So theoretically, you actually need an initial exposure in order to have a reaction. So talk to me about strawberries, because I know when my kids were small, um, of course, we love giving our kids fruit. They tend to love eating it. But I have heard of children responding to strawberries, and especially because they're so easy for them to grab and just shove in their mouth. <laughs> have you any information on strawberries in particular? I know it's not in that group that you just mentioned, but is it something we need to be careful of? Look, I think it's important to say, even though there's that allergenic list, your child can have an allergic reaction to any food. So that's point number one. Point number two is the whole question between a true allergy and an intolerance, it becomes a little bit murky and can be a little bit difficult for families to um, determine which it is. You know, fruits are often quite acidic as well. That may mean, you know, your child just gets a bad rash, a funny poo. It really depends on the symptoms, Siobhan. So I think it is important to always be aware of the link between symptoms and food and then chat with your healthcare provider. And I suppose while we're talking about that in particular, when you're introducing 
solids to your child and you're not sure, it can be quite frightening, right? First of all, you're really excited because there's nothing quite like seeing your child eat for the first time. But then with all this talk about allergies, it can be quite frightening in terms of knowing what might happen. So I know as a parent and as a functioning hypochondriac myself, that it's quite easy to maybe panic too much. So could you talk us through the possible reactions a child or the most common reactions a child would have if they're going to have an allergic reaction and what we need to do in particular if it's quite a severe reaction? Okay. So a true allergic reaction is an almost immediate reaction. So that would be during or soon after eating the food. There's a variety of symptoms your child may develop. The classic thing that people look for is a rash. And um, it's quite a particular rash. I realize this is a podcast. I'm going to do my best to explain what it looks like. But again, we will link to some information for you in the show notes. So hopefully that'll be useful. Um, Essentially, it's a red, blotchy, raised, itchy rash. It's something called hives or urticaria. It can happen anywhere on the body. So that's one thing to look for. The other thing is swelling. So swelling of the face, lips, eyes um, would be the most obvious. The third point is a change in voice or a cough. This implies that there's been um, inflammation and swelling in the airways. So your child may suddenly develop a hoarse cry or just to have a tickly cough. I would be very alarmed if, if I heard that. Any other breathing difficulties, Difficulty breathing, labored breathing, um, wheezing as well. They could just become pale and floppy. They could suddenly start developing tummy pains, vomiting. And, you know, the extreme of it is obviously losing consciousness. You know, so there's a whole range and it can evolve. It may just be one element that they get. It's very varied, the picture, which can make it tricky. My message is if any of those symptoms develop, call an ambulance. You don't mess around, you call an ambulance and they will guide you through things and determine whether or not they need to come urgently. And that includes the rash, does it? I mean, the the things you were mentioning around the mouth, I remember myself having an allergic reaction of all things to shiitake mushrooms. And at the time the doctor said the swelling of your lips is something to watch because then it also indicates that it's something going on with possibly your esophagus. But then at other times I would just be covered in um, hives, which was supremely uncomfortable, but didn't affect me any other way. Look, you're correct. And um, a rash alone is no reason to call an ambulance. And I also think it's important to say that you don't need a rash to have an allergic reaction. Um, So a rash alone and your child is otherwise totally fine, one or two small little blotches, I wouldn't. But, you know, I also think as a parent, if it's the first time that something's happened, you know, pick up that phone and get some advice. Don't sit there and don't watch and be anxious about it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I've asked all my questions there. I'll move on to the questions from our audience. Roberta actually has another one. She says, what do you do about swollen turbinates, 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 turbinates in newborns? Are there any at-home remedies or straight to the doctor? I think you have to start by telling me what turbinates are. Okay. If you look up your nose. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Those funny little things that are kind of like folded in that you can see, those are your turbinates. Okay. First of all, I think it's a very unusual diagnosis to have in a newborn. 
you know, what I think Roberta's referring to here is the link between swollen turbinates and allergic rhinitis or hay fever. And again, a very unusual diagnosis in a newborn because bearing in mind that most newborns are snuffly, most newborns sneeze, most newborns um, have a little bit of nasal congestion. And we've all had those noisy newborns. The, the reason why they have it is the adaptation to going from being inside liquid to being in the air and a little bit of milk, mucus, amniotic fluid. There are a whole lot of reasons. And also their anatomy in that, that they're actually just have small noses. <laughs> you know? So there's not a lot of room to move there for the air. So I wonder if that's actually what is going on because it's a newborn. Again, I'm, I'm unable to make any diagnoses on a podcast. But um, in terms of swollen turbinates, really, that's a possible diagnosis of allergic rhinitis, in which case your child would need to be seen by a healthcare provider who can make adequate um, recommendations in terms of both looking for why it's there, don't ever forget to look for the why, and then what you can do about it. And with a newborn with this particular issue, is it probably better to take them to a paediatrician than a GP? It sounds quite specialised. I think if you're considering that, yes, I would probably, I would probably see a paediatrician. Because remember, of course, newborn babies for the first few months of life are what we call obligate nose breathers, which means they don't really know how to breathe out of their mouth, which I think is kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Funny and good. I've read it's actually better for us to breathe through our noses. It is because we filter our air. That's exactly one of the the purposes of those turbinates. Ah, see, babies, they're they're all over it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, our next question comes from Beck. She says, non-IgE allergies, how to get people to take them seriously. What's an IgE allergy? Okay. Big breath. Okay. So I there's a difference between IgE and IgG, but I think really what we need to say is this, these are the antibodies that your immune system produces in response to whatever they're exposed to. There's also IgM, by the way, but that's not usually related to allergies. So... Um, IgE allergic reactions will give you that typical anaphylactic, you know, urticarial rash, those those symptoms that I spoke about earlier. The more delayed type of reactions often don't have an IgE response, which means it's very difficult to diagnose. So the IgE allergies we diagnose with um, skin prick tests, ideally, or with blood tests, which are a little bit less sensitive. The other type of allergies or food intolerances are tricky. And I think that that's what the question is alluding to, that really it is a diagnosis by history. So that's what history um, the families will present with. And then also by a period of elimination and then re-challenge. So what do I mean there? You take the food out, you notice any change in symptoms, and then you reintroduce the food and notice any change in symptoms. And that really is how the diagnosis is made. So I'm not sure if that exactly answers the question, other than to say it is a tricky one. Yeah, it's tricky. And I guess when she's saying how to get people to take them seriously, I wonder if she means friends and family. So if you have a child that is not just can't eat avocados, let's say, 
And you know, as a parent, that they have this delayed reaction to eating avocados and it's never good for them. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's what she's saying. How do you get people to accept that this is something that's real for your child and not in your head? And when I say that out loud, I kind of feel like saying, well, stuff them. Like you have to tell them that you know know your kid best, right? And you just have to be their advocate, don't you? Absolutely. So hopefully that helps, Beck. So we we believe you. We know that this thing happens and it's real. And look, you can always fall back on the fact that your medical um, professional, your GP, your pediatrician has told you that this is a food you need to avoid. And, and don't say they're intolerant, just say, my doctor said my child can't eat this. So, Or use the term delayed allergic reaction. Yeah, that's true. That is that <laughs> is serious. That makes me think it's serious. There you go. <laughs> okay, Lexi said, is it likely that a child will outgrow cashew f pies allergy? I only know how to say that because you told me before. <laughs> <laughs> what is an f pie allergy? Okay, so f pies f P-I-E-S. It's an acronym um, and it stands for food protein induced enterocolitis. What is this? Essentially, it is an allergic reaction to a food that presents only as gastrointestinal symptoms. So it only seems to affect the gut. It's most common in that, you know, six month to two year age range and um, typically is a a bit of a delayed reaction to that food. So we're talking a couple of hours after the food. And what do we see? The main thing we'll see is profuse vomiting. Aww. Yeah, exactly. So suddenly your child will start vomiting, vomiting, vomiting. They may also um, get some diarrhea a few hours after that. They can become pale and floppy if they've been vomiting a lot. They can become dehydrated. So they may need to be um, seen in an emergency department. The question about outgrowing it is, first of all, thankfully, there have been no fatalities ever related to FPIs. Secondly, the vast majority, nearly all children, will actually just outgrow it. I do not know the specific stats for cashew nuts, but I suspect it's the same as all of them. And any food, by the way, can cause um, FPIs, although most commonly it's things like dairy, wheat, soy, things like that. Oats actually as well, I believe. Well, it's interesting we had that question about F-Pies because Amma Serena says, why is F-Pies so common now? Had never heard of it when I was a kid. <laughs> Neither had I. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> talking about you know, being a kid, look, I'm, I'm a little bit old, but I'm not that old. But I mean, when yeah. I was in school, you know, there was actually only one child with a food allergy and we had like 700 kids in our school, you know. So you know, it's if if you look at allergies across the board, they're increasing. And I think the same is for F-Pies. It just falls into that category of an abnormal immune response to a food. I think we've kind of covered that already, Shiv. What do you think? I do. I think we've covered it insofar as we don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. But it is a thing and people yeah. are working on it. Emma Serena also says her son has F-Pies, soy and prawn mild allergic reaction, suffers eczema, and mum has asthma, what can we do to help him through these allergens? Are there any holistic health practices? Come and see me. This is what I do. (laughs) (laughs) What's also important to know is that a lot of these ideas are now starting to become mainstream. You know, so I do think in the future, more and more pediatricians will adopt this. 
but we do need to look at a child's, you know, and in terms of allergies and that specific question, we do need to look at their gut microbiome because we do know that an imbalanced microbiome is linked to um, certain atopic conditions. You know, we do know that low vitamin D is linked to certain atopic conditions. So again, a link is an association. We're not so clear on whether it's causing it or caused by it. So it becomes a little bit murky, but ultimately it's about optimizing your child as a whole in order to help them um, progress through these. Also bearing in mind that if your child does have food allergies, we need to make sure they're getting all their nutrients because if you're pulling foods out, you know, especially things like dairy is the big one. You know, yes, dairy is not the only source of calcium, but it's an easy, good source of calcium. And, um, you know, we need to ensure that your child has it or is meeting all their nutrient requirements and growing well. This is one that you have answered previously, but you may not have heard that episode on poo. I, I, I highly recommend it. Everyone in the office was astounded by the facts that I could tell them after we'd done that interview. Um, Kara says, my newborn has mucusy poos and I'm also worried about her weight gain. Can this mean an allergy and who should I see about this? Uh-huh. Yes, it's... It can mean something like cow's milk protein intolerance. And I, I would definitely recommend seeing a pediatrician who can guide you because poor weight gain is always a concern in young babies. Well, that was our last question, Deb. So thank you so much for chatting with us today. It's a pleasure. And thanks, everyone, for your questions. That's Dr. Deb Levy. And Hopefully, Sarah will be well and back with us next week because they're going to be answering all your questions about bites and stings. Maybe your child gets huge swelling from mosquito bites or you might be worried about how to treat a blue bottle sting. If you have a question, you can email us at vplaylove at sca.com.au. See you then. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the listener app. And don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.